Today's guest is Franco Patano. Franco is the lead product specialist and senior solution architect for Databricks. Based in the Chicago area, Franco has spent the last 17 years figuring out how to make data useful and accessible. He's an expert in all things data management, networking, and cloud. Some of the areas we'll be chatting on are Franco's career journey, challenges and opportunities in ETL for AI, and the value of a data lake house, and more. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Humans of AI. I'm Sheikh. This is where we learn about all the incredible people building the magic that's changing our world. Franco, thank you so much for making time for us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Franco, the very first question I'd like to start my guests off with is, how would you describe your work to a five-year-old? That's fun. Actually, I do have, have two kids, 10 and 7, so I have had to explain this because my son will watch <laughs> me work. Dad, I see you making, you're in slides a lot. I do slides for school. Is that what you do for work? You just make slides? Yeah, I make slides and talk to people. That's my job. But yeah, what I do, like as I explained it, is there are lots of problems that people have with data around the world. And as I've grown up in my career, I've noticed that they're all the same problems. They're replete through every industry. And you need to do more with data than what we're doing today. And AI lets us do more faster than what we've ever been able to do before. Humans, with our capacity, we have to think through things a lot slower than if you can have a machine do it. So that's how I describe what I do is I help solve problems around the world by applying these data and AI techniques where we could have machines do a lot of the brute force labor that we as humans used to have to do. I don't know if that's good enough for a five-year-old, but that's how I try to explain it to my kids. Yeah. I, mean, I think they get it. We'll see. I would love to see at your next presentation, have your uh, 10-year-old design all of the content for and just see how well it goes. She actually is a much better artist than I am, I gotta <laughs> say. Yeah, nice, nice. Franco, I, I, I know you've spent your career neck deep in the world of uh, data and ETL, especially even before it was cool. Tell us about what your career journey has been and what were some of the inflection points along the way that led you to where you are at Databricks? Yeah. Like many folks, it started off in spreadsheets a long time ago in a business far away. I noticed that business leaders needed data to make decisions and to understand what was going on in the business. And the stock reports that they were getting out of the systems just weren't enough. So eventually I became a spreadsheet jockey. I learned VBA, I learned how to code. And then someone showed me this magical language called SQL, where instead of trying to V to look up spreadsheets, I could join and yep. select and filter and do a lot more creative things. I was solving kind of department level problems. And then I moved on to solving like company level problems and then into finance. And I realized that a lot of these data problems were just like the same things over and over again. And I continued my journey. I, I learned more about the Microsoft BI stack, SQL Server, integration services, reporting services. And then later on, Tableau, because that mm -hmm. was all the rage. Uh, and then eventually Microsoft, the empire strikes back with Power BI. And I went more into this BI journey. And I realized as I was growing in that career, the early 2010s was like some breakthrough moments of machine learning where elites were using it. I started becoming interested in it. Didn't know about Spark yet, actually. I was still like primarily at the time, like everyone was using R to do data science. And I took some courses on it. And I was like, this is the future, but these tooling suck. Like all of these things of how, the data is over here in the warehouse, typically. 
<laughs> and, and then I started like seeing that the warehouse can't do everything. One of my data warehouse architects that I talked to, I'll never forget the conversation we had. I was like, hey, how do you bring audio files into the warehouse? And he's like, oh, that's easy. I was like, oh yeah? Yeah, but you just, you put it on blob storage and then you put a link to it in the warehouse. I'm like, that's not putting <laughs> the data in the warehouse. It's putting a reference to it. So I was like, the warehouse world has not figured out unstructured data, like how to get that in and how to process it. And I was there's got to be something else. And then eventually my career brought me to this pivotal project where I had the business that wanted to do streaming from IoT devices, where it was this project where they were trying to study the occupancy of office space. This was before the pandemic. And the whole concept of remote work and hoteling cubes and reducing your office space to optimize your costs was a, a thing that we were trying to push where I was what we, the stack we had could not do streaming BI. Informatica at the time just couldn't handle it. And I went to my Microsoft rep and I was like, hey, what do you have that can do streaming BI? They were like, there's this new thing called Databricks. And I was like, what the heck is a Databrick? And they're, they're like, no, no, not like that. Basically, I did a quick hackathon with one of their Spark engineers. Again, I knew no idea what Spark was at that point in time. And I basically learned it in a week and a weekend. And I delivered this streaming BI project. Basically, we had the ETL, the streaming ETL from all these sensors and then show up in Tableau in a dashboard. And I delivered the project like sooner than expected and under budget. What is this magic? And I was like, it's not me. It's this Databricks thing. And then I got introduced to Databricks and they reached out to me and they were like, hey, yeah. do you want to be an SA out of Chicago? I was like, yeah, this stuff is the future. I've been trying to dabbling in data and machine learning and all these tooling. They're not great. And you've actually got the premise of the right stuff of how to build this. Of course, I want to come here. And oh, that's that's awesome. what brought me here. <laughs> nice, nice. I've read a ton of your articles on, on Medium and you write extensively about data platforms and the overall benefit of the shift from data warehouse to a lake house model there. For someone not from this world, can you explain what the difference between warehouse and the lake house are and what the impact has been with increase in AI workloads? Yeah. Like I said, when I asked my DBA friend, like, how do you put an instruction data in the warehouse? It really was just putting a, a, a pointer to it, right? The warehouse is what I consider a specific engine. A warehouse was built and has all the rules of the things that you need to do to handle structured data and put it into a form that is quickly accessible by reports and dashboards. The OG use case for the warehouse was fast reports and dashboards for the business in the morning. That's what they wanted. The business needed quick access. The only way that you could do that at the time is by overnight batch processing on the warehouse. And out there, you made these, the world made Inman and Kimball famous and rich. And essentially, they needed to structure these things. And these warehouse outbursts, these concepts that you could take raw data and process it and put it into a structured way so that you get really fast access to for dashboards and reports. But again, they, they originally did not handle semi-structured data. So XML, which was prevalent in like the 90s, and then JSON, which came out, and I think it was the 2000s or started becoming more prevalent in the 2000s. And so now all this semi-structured data need to be processed. And these warehouse engines, again, they were built for one thing, fast reports. And over time, what I've seen happen is we've been using these specific purpose-built compute, the warehouse compute for all these other use cases that it wasn't built for. And if you think about Lakehouse, what, what ended up happening was that you needed a general purpose processing engine. 
to process data for the warehouse. And so what ended up happening uh, was Lambda architecture Mm -hmm. is you'd have Hadoop stack or like general purpose stack. There were other variants, right? But how did, and then they would have the warehouse compute too, because the, the data lake stack was not great at what the warehouse was really good at, like low concurrent, low latency, high concurrency of BI users like reports and dashboards, right? But the lake engine could do all the other things. It could process unstructured data. It could process semi-structured data. It could actually handle machine learning within the same engine. Because it's a general purpose engine, you can build it to apply it to anything. And this is what Spark is, this generalized processing engine that can be purpose-built for all these different solutions. And so that's the difference between a warehouse and a lake house. A lake house basically says, I'm going to take all the best parts of a warehouse mm-hmm. and all the best parts of a data lake, and I'm going to bring them together so that I can have the best of both worlds, right? And so you have, in, in our world, in, in Databricks, Spark is basically the generalized compute engine. And now mm-hmm. we've built purpose-built computes from that Spark primitive that kind of handle all these use cases. And so traditionally, everybody used Spark for machine learning, data processing, ETL, essentially. And all we really needed to do was was have a really good warehouse engine. So that's what we built. That's the premise of Lakehouse is if you could take this generalized purpose, general purpose processing engine and actually built the specific purpose built engines on top, you could have a much, basically what we used to call was a unified engine, a unified processing engine. That's what it is, is that you don't have to have best of breed tools and stitch them together, you could have one unified engine that kind of is built upon general purpose processing that can do all these things. And so that's what I think was the major difference is Lakehouse is all encompassing. It's basically purpose-built solutions from a generalized purpose engine. And what I see that they're doing with Warehouse is they're taking the Warehouse engine and they're trying to make it general purpose, which I don't really think a lot of these vendors are having luck in. We see a lot of them trying to do this. But I don't think you could, it's like the wrong way around. It's the wrong direction. But that's what the difference is about. Interesting, interesting. And when customers first start implementing Databricks across their org- organization, what are the things that that surprise them? Are there any common challenges that you've seen that you work with customers through? So one of the things I think is the unsung hero of Lakehouse is we're awesome at ETL. And no one really knew this. We didn't really talk about it a whole lot. We never benchmarked it. The world has a lot of problems with processing their data and doing it efficiently. I would say the biggest thing, the shock, not shock, but like the awe of Lakehouse is how much faster and cheaper it is at doing these complex transformation tasks that tend to be really expensive in the warehouse world. Again, because the warehouse was built for the presentation layer, for the serving layer. It was meant to serve data really fast. It wasn't built to transform data. The Their processing tools like Apache Spark was built to transform data. So that's what I see is like people were using the wrong tool for the job. And then when they come to Lakehouse, they see, oh my gosh, this can be faster and cheaper. And they're just like in awe, like that's one of the biggest things is that they can't believe that they can get more for less. And it's eye-opening. I think that's the biggest one. Yeah, that that's the VBA to SQL moment right there. Yeah, exactly. That you go oh. from the dark ages and single yeah. compute processing, <laughs> like single threaded processing to better mechanisms yeah. and more capabilities. Oh. You know, 
Outside of the core technology there, you also spend a ton of time just engaging with developer communities there. And I'm wondering, in your time over the past five or so years at Databricks, the much of the world has changed. You have COVID, the rise of AI, an explosion in open source technologies. And I'm wondering from a developer community standpoint and really staying authentic and community-minded. How has your views on engaging with developer communities changed over that time? Has the stuff you've been doing changed too? It's interesting. I would say the biggest impact to engaging with the developer communities is the pandemic change, how we communicate. It's funny, when I first came to Databricks, I spent a lot of my time going to meetups. And so I joined in 2019, right before the pandemic. And my first year, I basically went to all of the Chicagoland meetups that were data and AI based, just trying to get in and talk to the community, see what problems they were having. And some of them actually invited me to, to talk and I would talk about what Databricks was doing. And then the pandemic came around and it changed everything and we had to pivot. And actually what I did is if you go back in time, I did a short run video series uh, at Databricks called Data Collab Lab because we weren't doing anything anymore. And the pandemic happened, we weren't meeting up. And I said, what if we virtually met up like on Zoom and we collaborated on these problems and we showed the world what you could do on Databricks. And so that's what I pivoted to uh, when the pandemic, and that was early pandemic. And then all of a sudden, the rest of the world figured out how to work from home. And then Databricks just took, I, we no longer had time to work on that project anymore. So it fell off, which was sad. Actually, it's one of the things that I regret that I, I wasn't able to continue that on because I still get people asking, you didn't do another episode. Like, I don't have time for it anymore. I wish I could. I've been trying to get new essays at Databricks to pick up the torch, but yeah. we've been, AI blew up the world last November and it's been uh, trying to catch up ever since. Yeah. Huh. Well, with that explosion in AI interest in, say, the past 18 months, have any ways that developers have been using Databricks for AI workloads surprised you at all? I was shocked when we came out with the state of AI on Databricks report uh-huh. a little while ago. I was shocked at how common the transformer was used on Databricks. I didn't realize that we had already, GPT blew the top off the stuff, but we have been helping customers build these things for a while. Comcast has a voice remote. You tell it what you want to watch and then it, it comes up. That stuff runs on Databricks, right? So we've been in this NLP world already before LLMs took off. But I was shocked to learn we've been helping customers do this for years, right? And now it's the rest of the world realized what happened. No. There's not one specific like use right. case. It's the fact that it was so proliferated and now the rest of the world is like waking up to it. That was the most interesting thing that I've seen. Does that well, help? Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems like slowly you're going from being the Jedi to being the Empire now, but <laughs> in a positive way. <laughs> I just got caught up on Ahsoka over the weekend. I, I think it, it, we are becoming like the new Republic, where we're the, yeah, yeah, like the Republic. That's yeah. how I think about it. I think these closed warehouses are the empire where it's like my way or the highway. They lead with an iron fist. I find that it's got to be the warehouse, whereas we're more open. It's more open source. It's, it's more like the Republic. Everybody comes and we try to work together. Now it's the whole spirit of the unified platform, right? Was yeah. Everybody comes together and they work on the same data, they use the same tools and they get their job done and it's open. We're not locking you in. So that's yeah. how I think about it. I hope we don't come be, become the empire. <laughs> I hope we don't live long enough to become the villain. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> huh. Now, one of the recent announcements I saw from Databricks was on Marketplace. 
I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how developers are using it. My interpretation of it was a commercial alternative to hugging face. I'm wondering if that analogy is valid. Mm, not really. I would say a hugging face has a real solid platform and it's, we actually integrate really well with it. You can pull hugging face models on Databricks. Marketplace was more a response to, hey, I'm on Databricks. Uh, why don't I just have data that I can just bring in? Like oh, I can I see. On, okay. I understand. on that other platform. And then it started off with data assets. We had all these organizations that wanted to produce, to publish their data assets and have people like weather data. Why isn't weather data just like a click to bring in, right? Like it should yeah. be everywhere. And then we actually, there's more than just data. Now, what about notebooks to create the models? And then what if you want to produce models too? So I guess you could say a little bit might overlap on the model side. But Marketplace is more than just data models. It's notebooks. It's all of the data assets you would need to build out these projects on Databricks or using Databricks Plus, like any other tooling. So Marketplace is more of a way to centralize the, all of the different content and assets that you'd want to leverage within Databricks. And actually also allows the market to post their things and sell or kind of share their content. So I say it's more of all of the different assets you'd want to use on Databricks or publish on Databricks, not just models, but it also includes models. So you, you might have a little bit of overlap there, but we integrate with Hugging Face really well. So I don't really can see that for competitors, but maybe a slight overlap. Got Databricks is so large, we overlap a little bit with everybody, right? It makes sense. The very last question I have for you, Franco, is it seems one of the themes throughout your career has been tinkering with technology and just seeing where things go and naturally evolve. I'm wondering from where you are now, what are the types of tools and learnings that you're doing to stay on top of the next great thing? So I'm fortunate to be inside of Databricks. We have an amazing team of academic researchers. One of my things is, uh, I tell like new Bricksters, is don't discount the access you have here. A lot of times when people are like, oh, should I go somewhere else? Should I do this? Should I do that? Like, don't discount the access you have. One of our, we have this like thread, email thread called Market Info, where we share what we're seeing in the marketplace. And we're actually like promoted to share our ideas and our content and like how we think about things. And so internally, I have really good support systems to keep up with, with what's going on. I have a lot of professional, a lot of people all over the world that uh, kind of feed into that. Podcasts is one of them. I really liked a few really good ones. I, I look at guests more than specific podcasts themselves. Mm -hmm. Lex always has Correct. good guests, but not every guest is awesome. Joe's got good guests, but not every guest is awesome. So I pick and choose. I follow more thought leaders in mm -hmm. the space. I used to be on Twitter. I don't know and what the next thing is. Yeah, It got really weird. They are what they are. A lot of it's LinkedIn. Actually, I feel like a lot of the communities around LinkedIn now, have they, they got tired of X, maybe Facebook isn't really the right place. But I'm actually seeing I can keep up with, I follow a lot of the folks that are in the industry and Medium. Actually, ever since I started writing on Medium, I started reading more on Medium. And uh, its algorithm is actually pretty decent at, at surfacing things for me. So I would say LinkedIn or Medium have been like my two good public sources of content of, of staying up with what's going on. Because keeping up with these AI models and algorithms, 
And there's a new one, a new discovery every day. I'm constantly reading on a post. We broke this record. Or we broke that record. Or, <laughs> or now we're better with this. Or now, now this is cheaper. There's more parameters, more billions of parameters. There's, we figured this out. And then now, now forget H100s. Now there's H200s, right? A lot of times it's so hard to keep up with what's going on in the space. I feel like just trying to follow the right people uh, on social via LinkedIn or Medium is really helped me out to stay on top of what's going on. But just stay curious, uh, even the Google algorithm, because uh, I'm an old Android fan, now I'm all Apple. I was a big Android person. So Google the, has the news feed. Mm -hmm. And actually it is pretty decent understanding my search and like surfacing things yep. that are good. So I'd say that those are the ways that I keep up nowadays. I wouldn't say it's one publication or one source that I track. It's actually people. I find people that I grok, but I like their interpretation. I like their analysis, like the way they think. Hmm. And it's more like I follow them and I see what they produce. So I read their blogs, I, I listen to their podcasts, I watch their vidcasts. I got a soft spot for Mark Andreessen and Ben hmm. Horowitz. Just they're big investors in Databricks, but I really like their trajectory in Silicon Valley and in tech in general. They had come out and said that like software was going to eat the world and now AI is going to eat mm -hmm. software. I see that shift happening right now. As Databricks, we're just pivoting to uh, a new kind of paradigm. We pioneered Lakehouse because of all the complexities that we were having with Data Lake mm -hmm. and the warehouse. And then now we're finding that a lot of in the AI world, a lot of vendors are just slapping an assistant. Yeah. And saying, oh, we've got AI. But what we're doing is we're actually not just putting AI into the product, but it's the core of what we do. Yes, you have an assistant, but we're trying to actually figure out like, how can we give it more context? How can we make the assistant smarter? And now we have this new concept called the data intelligence platform, mm -hmm. because we think that AI should not just help the user, but it should actually help the system be a better system, right? The, there should be intelligence in the platform in and of itself. The platform should be intelligent and then how it helps you should have AI in it as well. So that's what we're thinking about and how I keep up, if that helps. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned Mark Andreessen just looking at, at his least, uh, recent publications. Would you consider yourself a techno-humanist as well? I would say I, I follow people, but there are some things that mm, I don't completely agree with. I, uh, I had a very similar I, initial reaction to. So I'm with you there. I believe that technology is good. So one of the core things I, I do believe in, I think that AI is going to help us push the boundaries of human knowledge, nothing we've ever experienced before. Actually, one interesting thing while I was doing my recent travels, I never thought that this would be a thing, but it turned out to be a huge debate in this meetup we had here. And it turns out they were still talking about it afterwards. I was actually catching up with someone. And I made the comment, I heard one of them mention this in a podcast. They gave ChatGBT to their kid. And the joke was like, I went to my, my kid, he was like 10 years old. I gave him the ChatGPT and it's like in the computer, you can ask it anything and it'll answer your question. He's like, yeah. And he doesn't understand like the amount of tech that goes into this, right? <laughs> yeah. You don't understand. I just brought fire down from the mountain for you. But, and, and you can really answer. And the kids, of course, it's a computer. It's going to answer any of my questions, right? Like, duh. And I was like, would you give your kid chat GPT? Would you give your child chat GPT? Yeah. And it was actually interesting. The room was split. They were like, God, no, I would not give my child chat GPT. They, were, they wouldn't learn anything. And I was like, are you sure about that? Like kids have a billion questions. 
this thing can answer every single one of their questions and they could just continue helping them be curious and learn, right? What's the hardest problem? Like you can't ask you questions. What do you say? You answer one. You're like, all right, I've had enough, right? That doesn't get tired of answering their questions, right? Like they can be curious and learn so much faster. I believe it has the capability of extending critical thinking and curiosity and helping the humanity actually push the boundaries of human knowledge. But there was this other part of the room that was like, oh my gosh, no, they're just not going to, they're not going to learn anything anymore. They're just going to ask GPT. And it's like, when it's funny, if you ask ChatGPT to summarize something for you, mm-hmm. it could take like a 500 page book and boil it down to 10 pages. What does that tell you about human language? We have a lot of filler. <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of filler in, in our content, right? You really, there's a, you could boil stuff. If you could boil the concepts down that much, what does that mean? Does the kid, do they really need filler? Do you just want to get to the point? So that's, I, I don't really, I don't know if, if that helps, but I find that it's interesting how people are thinking about the, how the technology is going to enhance humanity. I think how we, how we do that is going to be interesting. We've got, you got Elon saying that AI is going to kill us. Uh, and you've got the other side of the house that are saying AI can help us. So I just think it's interesting. Humanity itself, though, if you look at the internet, humanity has depths that are very dirty. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are heights that are amazing that we can accomplish. I think AI is just going to extend all those things. And we have to, just like we did with the internet, we have to be able to put some type of controls in place. But it's going to be interesting. I don't think I have the right answer yet. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people really understand what it's going to be. Will we fuse with these things at some point? Huh. I don't know. Well, I think well, it does have yeah. the ability to help us. One of my main takeaways from that then is as dads, we need to work harder to impress our kids. <laughs> exactly. Personally, I think the AI could be better at helping the kids than we can. I think parents need to come to the conclusion that maybe they could get a little more help. Maybe I'm not the best. Maybe my explanation of to a five-year-old of what I do wasn't good enough. What <laughs> if I have the AI do it instead, right? I think that's yeah. the hardest part of being a parent is when do you step back? When is your child in need more than what you can provide? Absolutely. But those are good parting words. This was awesome to connect, Franco. Thanks so much for sharing about your life and your world. And good luck on the rest of your global tour. You got some fun adventures on the horizon. Thanks, bud. Nick Shake, thanks for having me. It was yep. a pleasure. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero.